You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. I was going to start, but the Lord was just pressing in on me as I was sitting there in worship. Um, We have a young man, young boy, Eli, uh, that sits up here in a wheelchair. Struggles sometimes learning, struggles sometimes communicating what he's feeling. And as we're worshiping the Lord, he is crying out at the top of his lungs to worship and praise his Lord and Savior. I pray that my faith can be like that. And I was thinking as I was standing there, one day he will have a glorified body and a glorified voice and he will be praising his king forever and ever. Let's pray. Out of the mouths of babies, we worship you, Lord. Often I feel like my problems and the things that I'm struggling with and dealing with are so big, but you are bigger. I pray right now that we would receive your word, Lord, like a child. that we would fall more in love with you, that we would receive your cautions and your warnings in love, and that these warnings and these promises would fuel our mission to go and make disciples. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's see if I can do this. Um, there's a picture that's going to come up on the screen. What, what do you uh, think of when, when this comes to, on the screen? When you, when you see this picture, what do you think of? Danger, Danger warning, caution. Um, when you see something like this, when you're out and about, uh, who are the people that get super curious about what's behind the sign? Where are you at? Raise your hand. Who's super curious about what's back there? All right. Who, who, who just like runs away? Who just doesn't like, if there's a warning sign, you just like get as far away as possible. Where are you at? Okay, yeah. Um, who goes and explores? Raise your hand if you go and explore. Here you go. All right. Um, I think the worst for me is when I'm over at Home Depot. Um, and they have these like really big chunky gates that they put in front of the aisles. And the worst is when you're going to get like a box of screws or something and you walk up and they put this barricade up and there's one at the front of the aisle and at the end of the aisle and there's nobody in the aisle. There's nothing happening. There's not construction or things falling. It's just empty. And you're sitting here going like, it says do not enter, but... I just need a box of screws. How many of you go in the aisle? Yes, okay, thank you. I am not alone. Um, because I, I'm like, 
it's a warning, but clearly nothing going on here. Um, and, and so we're coming into this passage today, and we're in this, church, this series, Dear Church, and Jesus is cautioning, and he's warning his children, his church, and, and it's for a good reason. He's not putting up this Home Depot barricade and saying, like, there's really nothing happening here, but I just want to inconvenience your life. No, there, there's some serious warning here. And it's a matter of eternal life and death. And so he's, he's giving us these warnings, and he's giving the church these warnings, and we need to listen to them. We need to apply these to our lives, because if we don't, there is eternal consequence. And so last week we talked about the church in Pergamum. And what we saw there is that the church was compromising in their belief. They were compromising in their faith. And now we get to the church in Thyatira and and they dove deeper into the things that Pergamum was just compromising with. They were not only compromising, but they were tolerating sin, idolatry, sexual immorality. This was more than just allowing it to happen. They were actually participating in these things. And this letter is going to show us what compromise in the world leads to. If Pergamum was dating the world, then Thyatira had gone off and married the world. And it's interesting when we look at the progression of these letters. First, we start with the church in Ephesus. And and what does Jesus warn the church in Ephesus? You have lost your first love. And then he goes on to Smyrna and he says, you're going to be persecuted. So be bold in your faith. Stand firm on your faith. And then, Pergamum, you're compromising in your beliefs. And now, Thyatira You're tolerating and participating in sin. And I love what John MacArthur writes in this. He says, when love is left behind, compromise follows and leads to a toleration of sin. When you love your Lord less, you love the world more. And it infiltrates your life and you tolerate sin. So here's how the letter starts. And every letter that we're going to see here in these seven letters to the church starts with a picture of Jesus. So Revelation 1 is this beautiful, magnificent, glorious picture of our Lord and Savior. He shows up to John, and he is magnificent. He is everything that we could ever imagine and more. It is so beautiful to see the glorified Christ and the picture that John gets to see, and he records and writes down for the church. And then in verse 18 here, we're seeing part of that description that we see in Revelation 1 talking to the church in Thyatira. And and we see this, your eyes are like a flame of fire, and those who feet are like burnished bronze. So his eyes are, are what sees all. It pierces all. It knows all. If you ever think that you can hide anything from God, you cannot. He sees it all. Often we are more concerned about being caught in our sin from the people around us than we are by the fact that there is a holy God that sees all. 
And then, whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is talking about the same thing as, as Revelation 1.15, that his strength, he is permanent, he is solid, he is stable. And then he issues these, these three warnings. And these are warnings for every believer. So if you're in this room today, it's not like one of these three are warnings for you. These are three warnings that we must hear and receive. And here's the first one. Here's a warning. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. Let's look at verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. This word tolerate here is, is that she's been permitted to lead these people, like they're permitting her to lead them away without consequence. So, so she is telling them these things are right, and, and the church has given her permission to do this. They're leading people, she's leading people into these things that are against what God's word says, and the church is doing nothing about it. Now, was her name really Jezebel? And, and I'm going to submit all the commentaries I read and all the study I've done, I'm going to submit no. Um, this is who Jezebel was. It's referring all the way back to 1 Kings 16 through 2 Kings 9. She was the most wicked queen in Israel's history. She was the wife behind weak King Ahab. What she did was she led her husband to worship pagan gods and then had God's prophets killed. She murdered a righteous man, Naboth, for his vineyard. History calls her evil personified. That's who, who Jezebel, that, that name, that word means. Naming your kid Jezebel would be like someone today naming their kid Goliath. Like, never happened before. I actually did the research on this before 2015, then somehow, someway, six families named their kid Goliath. I'm like, I don't think you know how that story went. Like, you might have missed that one in Sunday school. It's like you're walking around, hey, this is my, my son Sodom and my daughter Gomorrah, and you're like, man, I, I think you're setting them up for failure here. So, so this is not what we're seeing here. Like, there, Jesus is speaking to the church, and he's calling whoever this is Jezebel. The church would have known what this meant. They would have known what he was referring to, that he was referring to to evil personified. He would have been referring to someone leading people into death and into destruction. We follow people we don't know much about. Do we know that? I mean, media and technology has caused us to seek after and fall underneath the shepherding and the, the leadership of people we know absolutely nothing about. We might know what they ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We might know their exercise routine. But then throughout those things, as we're looking at what they're doing, we are hearing their words that they're saying and receiving them as truth. I got an Instagram uh, video from, from one of the guys uh, on our team this week, and, and the video itself wasn't bad. It was a guy talking about some of the stuff going on in our culture today, and, and he was even using some, some biblical scriptural references. 
But then you clicked on his page and you started filtering through some of his little short videos that he has and you realize this guy is just merely a politician. He's a guy looking to be an influencer and to grow his own base and he, he is just trying to, to create a, a drive towards conservatism for his, for his agenda, whatever he had and whatever he was doing. His agenda wasn't, it was clear on this, was not making the name of Jesus, his Lord and Savior, great. His agenda was to uphold some kind of political platform. We have to be careful when we're scrolling and we're looking and we're watching the news to think that this stuff is true. Often people are like, have you tried this product? Have you tried this product? This thing, oh, you know, that says that you can lose 20 pounds in five days and, and we're, we're buying it. We're buying the stuff without doing any research, without really knowing who these people are that are selling us this garbage. Parents, can I tell you something? Phones, iPads, tablets, computers are a Jezebel. Do I need to say that again or are we tracking? Evil personified in technology where your kids, the TV screen, the Netflix, the platforms that they're seeing day in and day out are filtering all of this stuff into their brains and leading them to believe things without us even being around. Technology is a Jezebel. Students, where are your students? Man, the popular kids in your school, unless they profess faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and actually live their lives to glorify him in a personal relationship, they can be Jezebels. They can lead you to believe and think that certain things are good and right and even maybe moral when they have no desire to know who the true king of the world is. Adults, the politicians, the influencers that we follow, that we adhere to, the people that somehow we relate to, and that's why we follow them, agreed? We follow people because we relate to them. We feel, we, we feel some sort of connection with their life, with their family, right? This could even be online um, uh, churches and pastors. We, 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 had, we, we read a book of theirs or we see a sermon and, and we just all of a sudden take everything that they say as 100% truth. And here's the deal. This right here is the truth. This book. And if this is not the source of what I'm saying Throw it in the garbage. This right here has to be everything that we lay our lives and our foundation and our salvation upon. If I go outside of this, it's worth nothing. And we have a culture that is trying to take whatever's happening out here and insert it into here and say, oh, this is what this is saying. Instead of taking this and filtering out what's being said out there. We are following all of these people. And there is a clear warning here. Be careful who you follow. Why? Because false teachers lead to false teaching. Look at verse 20. But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Notice it doesn't say she is a prophetess. It says she calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice all of these sinful things. 
This is why at FMCC we are so serious about our doctrine. That's why there was like 40-something people that came to our membership class. The entire time, you know what we did? We spent time in this. We talked about our doctrines and our faith and our beliefs because we believe that this is what makes someone a member of the church. Not checking a box, not just coming and serving once a month. No, the word of God calls us into a life in the family. And so there's a warning here to be careful of false teaching. Here's an, an example. In one of the commentaries I was reading, I thought it was a, a great example that he, he said this false teaching is like spiritual kudzu. And, that's, and then he just went on, and I was like, I, don't, I, I, I had to Google it. What's kudzu? And here's what it is. There's a picture that's going to come up on the screen. From 1930 to 1950, the Soil Conservation Service promoted this kudzu to be a great tool for soil erosion control, and it was planted in abundance throughout the South. What they didn't know was that the kudzu was a killer, and it overtook everything in its way. That's, if you can't see it, that's actually a house that's covered, that little peak right there. It covered everything in its past, and it killed every tree, suffocated every plant and bush. And that's what false teaching is. It finds its way into our lives and wraps around and strangles the life out of our spirits. So we have to be on guard to false teaching. This is um, workspace salvation that is rampant in our culture. Workspace salvation would be adding anything to Jesus alone by faith alone through grace alone. So the, the, um, where are my math people out there? You, you like math? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That's the math problem. You, in the nothing category, you can't add anything, anything. And culturally, what we've done is we said, Jesus plus, and then we can put a whole slew of things in there. Some of the things which are not bad. I'm not, I'm not even, like, we can throw in baptism there, right? Well, you have to be baptized in order to get saved, right? Or, or you have to go to a membership class in order to be saved. Or you have to know what uh, justification by sanctification of the glorification of the propitiation of our atonement means. And here's the deal. It is Jesus alone that saves. So works-based salvation can, can creep its way without us even knowing it. And in fact, I can transfer that to my kids very easily. I've caught myself many times when I'm trying to get my kids to do what I want to also an entry, well, you know, God says, and then I start, and I'm like, oh, hold on a second. You are a sinner. That's what God says. And you need grace. That's what God says. And you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus. That's what God says. And so all of a sudden, you need to honor and obey your parents, for sure. But God is after their heart, not for them to, to have this moralistic code of conduct. Now, what we do filters out of what we believe, for sure. But it's not what saves us. And so this works-based theology can creep in. Or prosperity gospel, rampant in our culture. That if you just believe, then you will have a life of glorious treasures. Anything you ever want. Oh, you're about to start a business? 
well, why don't you name it a, a, some kind of a biblical thing? Because then it'll be successful. Man, have a tagline of a verse maybe underneath. Like, like if you're going to wrap a van in like your business title, put, put you know, a verse on that. And we have this prosperity-based gospel where we think if we, if we just do what God says or, or that God is going to give us all these finances and these riches and this success and this influence, we're not promised that. Do you know that? Southwest Florida, American culture, we're not promised to be millionaires. We're not promised to have the nicest, newest, fanciest stuff. It's not, oh, if you want to be a millionaire, then just, you know, give 20% to the church and that'll happen. But there are churches that are saying that. When it's Jesus alone that saves. And often we are called to sacrifice the things of this world. We are supposed to lay those things down so that we can pursue making his name great. And so then there's, you know, all the other stuff that comes along with, you know, non-Bible-based Christianity. People that are just trying to build a kingdom. I mean, false teaching is the primary, one of the primary issues that's addressed in the New Testament. I think it's like 54 verses or something that, that addresses false teaching. Verse 23 here in Revelation Two. It says, I am he who searches the mind and the heart. Towards the end of our service, I'm going to give you some time to just think and process. And, and what I want to say in this moment is, even now, start thinking about the kudzu that has wrapped around your heart and your mind. Allow him to see it with his eyes and search your heart and your mind and pull that stuff out and remove that stuff from you. Because in verse 24, we see a group of people who do not hold to the teachings of Jezebel. That's the type of people that we want to be, the type of church we want to be that don't conform to this world. We cannot mess with God's word. We have to filter everything through the word of God. Tolerating false teaching seduced God's people to practice immoral things. So here's our third warning. The first one was be careful of who you follow because that leads to false teaching, right? Be careful of false teaching. But here's the third one. Here's the third warning. Be careful with what you do, right? There's, there are these people that now were seduced into practicing the things that Jezebel was telling them were okay and right and good, will bring satisfaction and fulfillment into your life. Our actions... The things that we give ourselves to impact us. Here is named sexual immorality and idolatry, but there's a thousand other things that we can give ourselves to that will consume us, take up of our time, efforts, energies, finances, that we just fall into these deep, deep holes of addiction. And that could be just click, you know, the buy one, click now button on Amazon. That could be an addiction. You love opening up the Amazon package, even though it frustrates you because they changed the tape and it's really hard to pull apart now. But the, I mean, we get addicted to this stuff. Amazon's here. My kids run to the door. It's like Christmas. Who, who, we don't even know who got the package. It just shows up. One of my kids is on my like Amazon account on my iPad. We, we can get so sucked into these things. So be careful what you do. Repetition 
leads to addiction. And so I'm, I grew up, I know you probably can't tell, but I was an athlete in, in high school and college. I loved playing sports. I loved uh, playing lacrosse. Well, I remember way back in my t-ball days um, that I had a coach um, in baseball. Probably wasn't t-ball. It was maybe like 13, 14. And he, he, he rocked my world because he took a, a, a phrase that I always thought was true and said it's not true. And, and there's this phrase, uh, pra- practice makes perfect. You guys know that phrase? Practice makes perfect. And you hear it. Who's heard that phrase? Who's lived by that phrase? No, you you could be honest. This is church. I know you live by that phrase. Right? Practice makes perfect. You know if you do the same thing wrong over and over again, it's not all of a sudden going to be perfect. He said that. He's like, if you keep practicing wrong, you're going to do it wrong. He said, practice doesn't make perfect. It makes permanent. Like, what? And that's what happens in our lives. Repetition causes this addiction in us. You do something wrong over and over again, you're going to continue to do it wrong. Wives, if you respond to your husband over and over again with dishonor, nagging, eye-rolling, disgust, I promise your marriage will not become perfect. Jezebel was a strong-minded woman. And there's nothing wrong with being a strong-minded woman. But she used it for evil. She manipulated and abused her husband to do her evil bidding. That did not, she did not honor and submit to her, her, her husband's leadership. She beat him down, and that will lead to destruction. Men, if you fail to lay down your life for your bride and love her like Christ loved the church, fail to lead her like King Ahab did, and just was like, whatever, you do whatever you want, I don't care, it's not worth the fight, it's not worth the effort and the energy, it will lead to destruction. We do this over and over again. We get in these cycles and these patterns of dishonor and disrespect and not loving and not nurturing and not caring for men. And, and all of a sudden, it just this is crazy cycle just spins out of control. Guess what? If we keep doing that, it's not going to become perfect. So be careful on what you do. Parents, if we continue to lack biblical intentionality with our kids and we fail to discipline our kids in truth and love, and instead we discipline them in anger and frustration, we will lead them into destruction. This is all found in the book of Ephesians, chapters 5 and 6. This isn't my word. This is what God says we keep doing things the wrong way, it's going to lead to death and destruction. Kids, where are you at? Hi. If you continue to dishonor and disobey your parents, it's never going to do anything good for you in your entire lives. I mean, I know at 12 years old and 13 and 14 and 16, 
you do for some reason want the full weight and responsibility of adulthood. I don't know why you want that. But for some reason, something looks appealing to you. Maybe because we're leading poorly. But you don't need that right now. You need your parents to protect you. They have lived life. They have taken bruises and bumps. Let them lead you. When they tell you something is for your good, listen, honor, and obey as unto the Lord. For it is good. Unless they're telling you to do something that is completely unbiblical. And then that's where the church can help step in and help walk through things. In, in marriage relationships and as well as parenting relationships and kids' relationships, like abuse is wrong. Abuse should not happen. And so as a family, we need to rally around one another and help support in those things. So we're not dismissing that. But we're saying we get into these patterns and, and all of a sudden, we are not careful with what we do. But instead, our repetition leads us into addiction and pain and hurt and destruction. So we need to be careful who we follow and be careful of false teaching and be careful with what we do. And here's the good news. God will protect his children with loving discipline. God will protect his children with loving discipline. God's discipline is merciful. Look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent. He says repent three times in this passage. God is merciful in his discipline. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. So I think often we play this fair card. Like, oh, it's not fair that this is happening. No, no, no. What we deserve in our sin and in our shame and in our addiction and in our brokenness is eternal damnation and separation from God. That is fair. What is merciful and gracious and loving is that God sent Jesus for us. That's the good news. So his love and discipline fell upon his son on our behalf. So his discipline is merciful. But he will not leave his children in their brokenness. And so there are times where he will bring conviction and discipline into your life because you are doing something that he knows will destroy you. And often I feel like he brings it through the voices and the hearts and the lives of those around you and we don't like to receive it. When a spouse or a loved one or a community group leader or a pastor comes to us and, and they want to say, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing this, we throw up all sorts of defenses. Agreed? We say, hey, this isn't good for you. And they're like, well, what about you? And we're not receiving that the Lord can use other people's words to help lead us in the way of righteousness. His love and his discipline is merciful. And God's discipline is for our good. God wants his children to experience joy and peace. That's his desire. Here in verses 26 through 29, there are promises that come along with the discipline of the Lord. And this is what shows us that his discipline is for our good. 
First, in verse 26, he says, we get authority over the nations. We will, as believers, receive the authority of Christ's power. We have received the authority of Christ's power. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be sanctified and we can transform the lives. The Spirit can transform our lives so that we can resemble Jesus and reflect Jesus to a lost and dying world. We have the authority through the power of God. So his promise to us is that his discipline is for our good because we receive his authority of Christ's power. And then second, we receive the assurance of Christ's presence. Look at verse 28. What does it say that we receive? The what star? The morning star. If you look forward in Revelation, to Revelation 22, 16, you know what we see the morning star is that we receive? Anyone? It's Jesus. We get Jesus. Like, that's one of the promises that comes along with the discipline of the Lord is that we get Jesus, the person of Jesus. And if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't like stir something up inside of you that you get Jesus, just like for Eli sitting here and he is stirred by, by his affections. Like if we're not excited when we come into this place to worship and praise and sing praises to his name, like we get Jesus. If you're not excited about Jesus in this life now, you're not gonna be excited about worshiping for all eternity. Like what do we get when we get to heaven? We're not gonna be focused on streets of gold. We're not gonna be focused on the house that we lived in. Our eyes are gonna be fixed and focused on the person of Jesus. We are gonna be worshiping him day and night. He's gonna be all that we are concerned with. We are gonna be praising God in the presence of God for all of eternity. If you're not excited about that now, you ain't gonna be doing it in eternity. We get Jesus. So the discipline of the Lord is good because we receive the, the authority and the power of God and we get him. And these warnings and these promises, they fuel our mission to the nations. That's why he says we have authority over the nations because we get the opportunity to bring his good news to every man, every woman, and every child. I love how Ride Nature says it, to the ends of the earth. You know that's a quote? from the Bible, that we get to take his good news to the ends of the earth. These warnings do not stop our mission to seek and save the lost. These, these give us the mission to seek and save the lost. I love how John Piper rephrases the phrase that kind of we grew up with, which was to be in the world but not of the world. You know that, you know that phrase? Well, that's taken from a scripture verse, but it's actually not what the scripture verse means because it says, he says this, and I love how he, he writes this. Jesus' true followers have not only been crucified to the world, but also raised to new life and sent back into free others. We've been rescued from the darkness and given the light not merely to flee the darkness, but to guard, guide our steps as we go back in and rescue others. Christians are not of this world, but sent into it. Be the type of church and people that don't live like the world, but that we are sent into the world to bring good news 
to every man, to every woman, and to every child. These warnings and these promises fuel our mission. So I want to know this morning, what is Jesus' specific warning to you right now? I know when we see these, all of them apply, but I know for each and every one of us, there is something that probably ends up tugging at our hearts. So maybe there's somebody that you're following or that you're gleaning from that is not fully landed and fully immersed in the word of God. Maybe you've started believing false teaching in your life. Maybe you, there are things that have just infiltrated your heart and your mind because you've just heard it over and over again. And, and what is that? Or maybe it's that you just are living in such a way where it, it doesn't resemble the good news of the gospel in any way, shape, or form. If you were to ask anybody in your life, hey, does this person believe in Jesus? People mostly would say, I don't know. I know that they've maybe said that they've gone to church every now and again, but they don't live like they're in love with Jesus. So what warning is God trying to specifically say to you today? And as we go into worship and as the band comes back on up, my prayer for each and every one of us, every one of us, there's nobody in this room that's exempt from this. Students, you're not exempt from this. That we would just go before the Lord and that we would repent of these things and that we would receive his forgiveness. Because he's a good, good father. And right now, there is some discipline that the Lord wants to give us. He wants to give me. And the good news is, is that we get to go before our God and because of Jesus, we are fully forgiven and we can lay this stuff at his feet for his name and his glory. Amen? Can I pray for us? Jesus, as we go back into singing songs of praise, as we go with these warnings at hand, as we are gonna wrestle with that spiritual kudzu that is just wrapped around in our minds and in our hearts, I pray that you would do us the mercy and the grace to, to point these things out to us clearly. If there are things in our life that we need removed, God, I pray you would remove them. If those things that we need to be removed hurt, I pray that in the midst of the hurt and the pain of removing those things from us, you would comfort us and give us peace. God, if there's a relationship that needs to be severed, if there's an addiction that needs to, to be removed, Lord, I pray that you would give us freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So I pray as heavy as this may feel, as entangled in these things may feel, I pray that you as the perfect surgeon would go in and cut out the sin that so easily entangles us and lead us on your path of truth and life. And I pray that, that people would begin to see the church as not an unsafe place for rumors to be started, but a safe place to bring our brokenness and bring our mess and that people would seek out leaders and others to come alongside them and help. God, you have not called us to do this alone. You have given us your church 
And I pray that we would be a people of grace and mercy and love for one another so that we can make your name great and that we would be sent out on a mission to the nations to seek and save the lost by your good news that you have came to save us, restore us, and give us life. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray.